where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. As I was looking at the text uh, over these past couple weeks, I was reminded of the times that parents and teachers tell kids to make good choices. And... Um, it's great advice, but the reality is that sometimes we don't really know how to make a good choice until we have made a few bad choices. Today we are continuing our sermon series of hard choices, and we are doing it by experiencing a bad choice, which is the death of John the Baptist by Herod. The story of John the Baptist's death is told in a flashback sequence. And it comes right at a pivotal moment in Jesus' ministry. The healing and the teaching that Jesus has been doing has been attracting attention. And people have been asking, who is this man? Herod responds, it must be John the Baptist, who I beheaded back from the dead. And that's our cue. If this was a movie, there would be music to cue that we're moving into this flashback scene. Let us hear that story this morning. And Kirk Thomas is reading it for us from home. Okay, I hope everybody can hear me. Whether we take what is written in the Bible as fact, metaphor, myth, or story, let us listen for the insight in these words for our Christian faith. The text is Matthew 14, 6-12. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. The head was brought on a platter and given to the girl who brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took the body and buried it, and then they went and told Jesus. May the Spirit bless us with wisdom and wonder as we ponder the meaning of these words for our lives today. Here ends the lesson. Thanks be to God. So the story is that uh, John the Baptist was already in prison. And Herod, who has had a wild night of partying and enjoys some dancing, offers a gift for his stepdaughter, who is the dancer, of anything she would like, because she's danced so well and pleased him. And she asks as her reward for the head of John the Baptist. In the Gospel of Mark, Herod's decision is a little bit more marked. He's confused by John the Baptist, but he doesn't want to kill him, and yet he cannot figure out how to save face in this public vow, and so he goes through 
with his offer and has John the Baptist killed. The story is about a choice that Herod made, but it also serves the purpose of illustrating the hard choices that Jesus was making in that exact moment. Hearing of what happens to John the Baptist, he chooses still to keep going with the work and teaching and ministry he is doing, living more fully into who he is, even knowing the risks. And since we have these stories in front of us today, and since we are living into the moment that we are living into, I want to take a deeper look at how we make decisions in a time of crisis. For Herod, this very much was a time of crisis. In the Gospel of Mark, as we said, it's spelled out more fully than the Matthew version. He's choosing between living into a vow or doing what maybe he thinks is right. And this is in line with what historians tell us about Herod Antipas, the son of the Herod in the Christmas story, so they're two different Herods. Herod Antipas desperately wanted to be king, and he was never given that title formally, but in his quest for that power and that reputation and that standing, he made all sorts of wild decisions. And it's easy to criticize Herod because this is such an exaggerated example of what it looks like to make the wrong decision. But I am sure that many of us can remember a time when we chose to save face rather than to do the right thing. Maybe for us that was the time that we didn't sit with the unpopular kid at school or that time that we agreed with a co-worker's plan when we knew it wasn't the best one. Maybe it was even the time that we hung on to being right in a discussion long past the point when we should have conceded. These are the choices of character. And to understand it better, I want to do another flashback scene, this time to a point in John the Baptist's life when he, too, had to publicly change his understanding about something. And Kathy Von Hatten is reading that to us this morning from the Children of God Storybook Bible. And so I am going to hold another version, another copy of the Bible here, so that you have the picture in front of you. God blesses Jesus. Jesus is baptized. Jesus' cousin John wore clothes made from camel's hair. John lived on locusts and wild honey. He was called the baptizer because he was a holy man who called people to the river to wash them clean of their wrongdoing. God wants your hearts to be clean as well as your bodies, he told them. Turn your cruelty into kindness, your selfishness into sharing. But how, the crowd asked. If you have two coats, share one. If you have one loaf of bread, share half. As he took them into the river, John said, I baptize you with water, but someone far greater than I will come soon. He will baptize you with the fire of the Holy Spirit. Jesus came to the river and asked to be baptized. John said, No, Jesus, you should be baptizing me. Jesus insisted, This is God's plan. 
So John led Jesus into the river and baptized him. As Jesus came out of the water, he saw the heavens open, and the Holy Spirit spread its wings over him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, who fills me with joy. We have then another example of making a public decision about who you are. And obviously the content of the choices that are made by John and Herod is vastly different. But the substance of them is similar. They are faced to choose in a moment who they will be. Amy Erickson has highlighted the difference between the two of them this way. She says, John the Baptist was convicted. He was convinced of his ordination to prepare the way of the Messiah with a call to repentance. Herod Antipas was conflicted, assailed by contradictory impulses within himself and vulnerable to pressures outside himself. John the Baptist gave meaning to the word courage in his unswerving commitment to his mission of truth and promise. Herod Antipas gave meaning to the word fear in his commitment to self-preservation. Self-preservation or truth. Courage or fear. Commitment or contradiction. Those are really real choices. And they don't sound quite so hard when they're phrased like that and when they're phrased in the context of these two stories because I take it as a given that most people, if not all people, would say that they want to live a life of truth, of courage, and of commitment. Those are universal values. The challenge seems to come in putting them into action in a real way day-to-day, and especially in times of crisis. We all have those contradictory impulses and that urge to put ourselves first sometimes. And yet some of us seem to be better at staying true to who we are and who we want to be. And I think maybe the defining characteristic, the thing that makes the difference, is that the people who are able to stay the course have a clear sense of their principles. They understand their guideposts. They know what to follow when it looks like the trail is rocky. So one question that we could take away from these readings is what are the guideposts that help you make choices when the going gets tough? We are at a prime moment to be asking those kinds of questions. And so one way to think about this is in terms of what some people call their pseudo-self and our real self. John the Baptist and Jesus have a clear sense of real self. They know who they are and they know who they want to be and they are willing to follow that path. Which doesn't mean that they're rigid. Remember, the point of the John the Baptist story is that he changes his mind. 
But he does it because he realizes that baptizing Jesus is actually more true to who he is and how he is meant to live in the world. I like what author Kathleen Smith says, which is to build a more solid sense of self, you have to begin to think about what you actually believe. Not what you believe when it's convenient or when it looks good or whenever it's the opposite of whatever Ted at the office thinks because you hate that guy. True beliefs are not about conforming or rebelling. And so what I notice when I read the account of John the Baptist's death is the chaos. Here's Herod, and he is surrounded by people and noise and his own internal drive to be the best. It makes me wonder how this story could have turned out if he had just hit pause for a moment. What if he had said, wow, this has been quite a party, and I got carried away in the moment. Let me think about all of this and get back to you in the morning. And maybe a quiet walk alone or a good night's sleep or a moment of prayer could have changed the outcome. In the moments of crisis, whether they are real or perceived, it is easy to believe that everything needs to move at the speed of light. But there is rarely a decision that is made worse for taking a few deep breaths. What we know about Herod is that he doesn't learn. He'll pop up again briefly when Pontius Pilate brings Jesus to him and once again Herod decides in favor of force over mercy and of dominance over love. Luke will tell us that that is the day that Pontius Pilate and Herod became friends, which gives us an important perspective on who they were each choosing to be. That's why I think that sometimes when the going gets tough, the best thing we can do is a little flash forward of our own and ask, who do I want to be in the future? Or, When I look back on this, what do I want to have learned from it? We could also take another cue from the Bible and we could do a little flashback. We could ask, when have I faced another big decision like this? Or even, what has prepared me for being able to face this moment? And I like that one because it assumes that we are able to face this moment and whatever big or small decisions it might ask of us. We open this morning with an abridged prayer of discernment from Thomas Merton. And so if you find yourselves needing to pause in coming days, it is worth looking up the whole thing. But I want to close with another prayer for discernment, which you will hear again in just a moment, echoed in our anthem. And it goes like this. God, be in my head and in my understanding. 
God be in my eyes and in my looking. God be in my mouth and in my speaking. God be in my heart and in my thinking. God be at my end and in my departing. May it be so for each of us. Amen. As is our practice, we're going to take a few moments for the passing of peace this morning, which, of course, will be quite different. Um, I want to invite you into a different practice, which acknowledges what social scientists have been saying for decades, that at least 60%, at least 60% of our communication is nonverbal. And so I want to invite you right now, I'm hoping that you have eased into this format a little bit. And I want to invite you to take your hand and place it over your heart. I don't know about you, but I've noticed my heart racing a little bit more lately. Noticed my head sort of spinning a little bit more with thoughts that are fragmented. So let's just take a moment to feel your heartbeat, to allow your mind to settle. Return to your breath, as is our practice at the beginning of the service. And to invite peace into your own heart. now for an exchange of peace, I want you to take a look at the pictures on the screen or the names that are popping up on your screen. You might have several pages to flip through. Just take your time. And as you look at each one, offer one or more of these phrases as you feel led. May you know peace. May your heart fill. And may your heart be full and light. May grace rest upon you. May you know that you are loved. May you love fully without fear or concern of loss. In all that has been offered in this moments, in these moments, it's really just a phrase. May the peace of Christ be with you. And we'll continue this practice in song. And I invite you as you look out your windows these days, 
or take a walk around your neighborhood to sing these words to those who are near and far. And now, friends, may you receive these words of benediction. Life is a gift, and we haven't much time to gladden the hearts who make the journey with us. So be quick to love. Be quicker still to be kind, that the gift of your life may be poured out as a blessing to others. And as you live lives of courage and grace and peace this week, know that the light of God still surrounds you. The love of God still enfolds you. The power of God still protects you and the presence of God still watches over you. Wherever you are, go in peace. Amen. Thank you.